0: If you've, uh, if you've been around over the past uh, few weeks and months, you'll know that we've been doing a series on uh, justice. We recently, uh, the last few weeks, we just started. And it was a start, beginning of a conversation around uh, women and justice. Uh, and before that, we looked at justice for the refugee and for the migrant. Uh, before that, we looked at justice uh, and creation we looked uh, we tackled some of the issues around uh, the environment and uh, climate change and then i think it was uh, during lent uh, i believe we we did a series looking at the the overarching themes of justice throughout the whole narrative arc uh, of the scriptures and we started with Uh, with the uh, creation account in in Genesis, and then we went through to the Exodus and saw how the Exodus is this picture of uh, freedom and justice, and we went all the way right through to the life of Jesus. We looked at the cross, we looked on and through to the community of the church, all seeing how the themes of justice are inextricably woven through the fabric of the scriptures. Uh, And now we felt uh, it might be helpful just in the run-up to the summer to unpack a little bit more about why it is we're talking about justice so incessantly and why we think it matters. Um, Wimber, John Wimber, he founded this stream of churches called The Vineyard a Million Years Ago, it feels like. Uh, He he was known for his uh, teaching on uh, power evangelism and healing. And he used to teach on healing everywhere he went. He'd do conferences and everything was healing, five-step healing models, healing, healing, healing. And people used to say to him, why are you talking about healing all the time? When are you going to talk about something different? And he said, well, A, the Spirit of God has told me to, and B, I'll talk about something different when you get it. And when you get it and you understand the intervention of the breakthrough of the kingdom of God and healing as a signpost pointing to Jesus and the future age, then we'll move on and talk about something else. For us, I think the short answer, I guess, as we begin to slowly but surely emerge uh, from lockdown and COVID, uh, that's just for us coming up for a year ago. um, You know, as Kate and I were, were seeking the Lord, as we were praying and saying, We've all been through this disruptive 18 months or whatever it is. Uh, What is it, Lord, that you have for us? What is it that you are calling us into as a church? And our very clear sense was that we felt from the Lord that we were to give at least a year, if not two, uh, to the issues of justice that run so very closely to God's um, heart. For I, the Lord, love justice is a refrain that runs throughout the scriptures now uh, we've talked about this before but as you will have noticed uh, not everybody is able to be here uh, every week Um, i'm still not entirely quite sure why that would be but um, that seems to be the new post-covid reality so we just have to accept it, certainly for now at least. So what I'm saying there is because not everyone's able to make it every week, it's really easy to miss these things and just to pick up some bits and pieces here. And so in there, if if nothing else other than an attempt to remind us why it is uh, we're looking at justice week in and week out, and and why we believe that justice matters not only to God, not only as reflected through the scriptures, but why it also should matter to us. We're gonna spend the next uh, couple of weeks digging around uh, into the scriptures and and seeing uh, what we come up with. But for now, let's take a look at the book of Micah. Micah, now if you don't know where Micah Micah is, if if your Bible looks like one of these, Right, uh, sort of go to the beginning of the New Testament and then turn left a little bit um, or just search for it on your iPhone. Um, but you really ought to bring a Bible, right, in some form or another because I could say anything. I mean, I quite, quite frequently do. And you'd never have any grid for checking it against just heresy. And so you really want to be very familiar with your scriptures. These are our plumb line, our yardstick. This is where we kind of take our, our north from. Right. And so you really want to kind of at least have it in some form or another. Like even if it's just a token gesture just to please me, you know, a nod and a wink as Christians to the fact that, you know, Scripture, Bible, probably quite important. So I'm in one of those moods, you can tell. Uh, So um, that's where Micah is in there. Uh, If you don't know who Micah is, Micah is like one of a bunch of uh, Old Testament prophets. And I I personally think the Old Testament prophets get a pretty bad rap, actually. You know, they're pictured as being all sort of doom and gloom and long white beards and pointy fingers, you know, accusing people of um, doing all sorts of terrible things. Truth be told, uh, there is a fair amount of dire warning in Micah. I mean, he is an Old Testament prophet after all, and it would be strange if there wasn't. But, like all the prophets, it's neither without reason nor is it without hope. Now, uh, we don't have time to go into everything this morning um, because of a phenomenal fire drill, uh, and I don't want to keep you here until tea time. And so this morning, because I wasn't sure how much time I was gonna have, is really, you'll be glad to know, is really just a very brief introduction, it's a very brief overview. Um, back to John Wimber, uh, you know, he, um, he would often get criticized for his preaching, which makes me feel so much better. Uh, he would often get criticized uh, for his preaching. Um, and when he did, his response was uh, he said, It's kind of like supper. Uh, some days you get steak, other days you get egg and chips. This is a kind of an egg and chips family supper, okay? Or fish finger sandwiches, right? But we love fish finger sandwiches. I mean, what's not to love about a fish finger sandwich? You know? So there you go disclaimer from the outset anyway Micah is from this small town in the southern kingdom of Judah he was knocking around about the same time as one of the other big you know cheese old uh, testament prophets uh, Isaiah and at this point both the the northern and southern kingdoms have split they split a long time ago neither of these two kingdoms have been living the way that God had called them to live according to God's law and the Torah and the prophet Micah has been sent by God, basically to call them out on the way that they've been living. And, and Micah, what he does is he basically picks a fight with um, Israel's leaders, with Judah's leaders. And he says, he says, "You guys." He does it in a different language. This I'm paraphrasing, but he basically says, "You know, you have become wealthy through theft and through greed." And through injustice, and then if that weren't enough to get him killed, uh, Micah also has a go at Israel's prophets, who, by the way, were totally uh, corrupt. Uh, they'd be more than happy to wax lyrical to an individual about the the fact that God will protect you as long as you pay me as the prophet enough money. Right? Give me en- enough money, and I will promise you that God will protect you. And so. Micah is essentially accusing those in power of grave injustices, you know, for leading through bribery, for fixing justice so that it favors the wealthy, while all at the same time the poor are deprived of their land and they don't have any security, they don't have any hope. And all of this is, of course, in violation of God's laws. So Micah's warning is, you know, he's saying, Judah, if you don't get your act together, Uh, and stop doing this, basically stop being like this, stop all of these injustices and carrying on the way that you have. God is gonna allow a pretty mean looking bunch of Assyrians to come and descend first and foremost on the northern kingdom, and then they cross the border into the southern kingdom and then um, ravage and sack Jerusalem, the holy city. Yeah, that's like a big deal. And then if that weren't bad enough, uh, it gets worse. And Micah says, uh, after that, if you still don't kind of wake up and pay attention, after that, another pretty mean looking bunch, uh, the Babylonians, are gonna be hot on their heels and they are gonna wreak even greater death and destruction and devastation. Um, Now, it's not, as is always the way with these kind of prophets, it's not always doom and gloom. And there are actually some very beautiful passages in the book of uh, Micah, filled with the hope of how God will redeem and restore if only Judah and Israel will put an end to all the injustice. And instead, live the way that God has called them to live, which is when we get to Micah's famous verse in chapter 6, verse 8, where Micah famously says, He has told you, O human. He has told you, Judah. He's told you, Israel. He's told you. Southwest London Vineyard. What is good, and what the Lord requires of you—to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God—and and so this morning, let's see if we can start at least uh, to get a sense of the Bible's um, vision for justice, and why we think that matters, and why we're talking about it so endlessly. And then we'll hopefully build on that over the coming weeks. Uh, the word justice appears a lot in the bible you'll be glad to hear uh, over 400 times in the old testament alone and then once you add in you know one of the key related words that go that goes alongside it which is righteousness that appears like another 130 times in the old testament alone justice and righteousness these in the bible these these two words justice and righteousness they they're very much related they're very much Connected, And then they're not really that closely connected in English anymore. But in the storyline of the Bible, they're deeply related. They're deeply connected. Um, and first of all, maybe one of the things that we need to do is sort of um, imagine your gardens become a little bit overgrown. And you need to clear the decks first. You know, you need to go in with one of those rotivators and and strip out all the debris. Maybe what we really need to do first is strip out some of the debris about our assumptions about what these words mean. Uh, what we can do if we if we can work out um, what these words mean, we could we can then maybe find a way just to sort of disentangle ourselves from those assumptions. And then once we've cleared the ground a bit, then let's let the Bible, let's let this inform and rebuild. Our definitions of these words and these concepts, and then shape our understanding. So we're informed by this, and not by something else. Uh, etymology lesson coming up. Uh, be warned. Our uh, word justice comes from the word Latin, uh, the Latin word "justus," which means fair or upright. And again, these are uh, fair is current, upright not so much, but upright, upright. Is, is actually a lot. It's a lot in the Bible. It's a lot in the Old Testament. It talks a lot about being upright. Um, I think, as we all know, though, the reality of our experiences, um, a just world, a fair world, upright societies, they, for whatever reason, they, they don't just seem to happen. They don't just bubble up and exist. They, they're hard ones. A just society doesn't come easily. It's hard, one. The creation of just communities. Josh doesn't like what I'm saying. He's just decided I'm... Have I gone again? Yeah, what? That's you, you just playing with me, messing with me. (sighs) The things I have to deal with, I just can't work in these conditions anymore. Um, The creation, what I was saying, uh, I think the creation of just... Communities, you know, being a a people of justice is is something that we have to choose, uh, you know, or not, uh, as is sort of sadly more often the case. What I mean by that, I suppose, is that the natural trajectory of human relationships, just let's assume for a second, just left to our own devices, isn't really naturally predisposed towards justice. At at least I, I think that history shows that that's the case. What history does show, I think, is that where there's some kind of, um, I don't know, active force or or narrative or belief or choice or value system or story that drives people or motivates people or compels people, then yes, I, I think the beauty of just spaces and places can start to spring up all over the place. Let me unpack that. This way, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. Uh, he he was someone who tried, as far as I know, uh, what well, I can read. He tried to live his life out of the biblical story. He he was somebody who had a firm belief in the person of Jesus and the gospel narrative. And he said, quoting somebody else, he said that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And in isolation, that sounds like it's just a matter of time. It will just naturally, the arc of the moral universe will naturally gravitate towards justice. The thing is that it's very clear that apart from Jesus Christ, the idea of a moral arc of the universe moving towards justice was inconceivable to Martin Luther King. And it it makes sense when you read the context of, of what he was actually saying, when it makes it makes, context, it makes sense in the context of a decorative uh, statement of faith. Because his whole thing that he said was this. He said, evil may so shape events that Caesar will occupy a palace and Christ a cross. But that same Christ will rise up and split history into A.D. and B.C. So that even the life of Caesar must be dated by his name. Yes, and then he quotes, the arc of the moral universe is long but it bends towards justice. And so in this context, it's clear that you know bad people often prevail in this world, where Caesar still rules. Uh, and that doesn't mean that we shouldn't engage in social and political activism, standing against these agents of injustice where we see them. But nor does it mean that we, um, we should assume that there's some kind of magical force that's inexorably leading us to some utopian, progressive end of history. Martin Luther King believed that God is at work in the world through Jesus Christ to bend the universe back towards straightness, uprightness. And that's the Christian story. Now, sadly, left to our own devices, without a compelling vision or narrative for justice, our tendency as humans seems to be to move in the opposite direction. We seem to move towards injustice. And if you remember that Bible project video that I've showed a few times, that indicates and demonstrates how that can be. Now, as we've said throughout this series, none of this is straightforward. When, when we felt like God was saying, focus on justice, we're like, great. That's a winner. Like, easy. How straightforward. That, fantastic wrong 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 on so many levels a it's not easy i mean it's created and it's generated all sorts of reaction from you wonderful people uh, some really good some really 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 not good you know we get all kinds of differing emails um about what we're doing but we're hanging in there just because we're trying to be obedient um to the lord as best we possibly can uh, we recognize that you know, justice sort of maybe a little bit of a trendy um, concept. But there is a, I think there is a pretty confused conversation happening around what even constitutes justice. And so hopefully, we would all say, we all want justice. We want justice, which would be good. And that would be a kind of a, a given, I hope. But that doesn't mean to say that we're going to necessarily agree on what justice is or what justice looks like. Because how each one of us determines what is just and what is right, surprisingly, isn't as self-evident as one might imagine. Uh, These ideas that we have about um, how we should live and about how society should be run and so on, they're all generated. They all come out of a set of core values of core beliefs now often they're religious values or they're kind of out of some kind of worldview that we have that effectively says these are the things that are ultimately good these are the things that are right these are the things that are really important values these are the things that really matter Uh, in his book generous justice tim keller he, he wrote the book he references another book written by a Harvard law professor, Michael Sandel. And and the book that he wrote is called Justice, What's the Right Thing to Do? And one of the things that he's trying to get us to see is that we can live in this pretty confused state, whereby we're all using words like justice and freedom, whilst potentially those words are being defined out of very, very different core values. And those different core values are going to define what we mean, what I mean, by justice and freedom. And they're going to be different for maybe what you think about justice and freedom. And in his book, um, Justice, What's the Right Thing to Do, he kind of boils these core philosophies or worldviews down to to three. And this may or may not be helpful, I've got no idea, as we try and get our heads around the concepts of biblical justice and what that means. Uh, these are three, these three things, they're very broad brushstrokes, but they might give us a sense of where it is we're coming from, uh, and more importantly, what it is that might be impacting the way that we live, and the way that we interpret the scriptures. Uh, they're very distinct, they're not all, they're not distinct, they, they, they overlap, okay, um, but the, the point is, if we listen to our own and other people's reflections on justice, there's a good chance that we will find these frameworks in there somewhere. So I'm going to just whip through some of these. Uh, the first one that he describes as being uh, people's core value in how they determine uh, justice and what's just is what he calls the maximizing welfare view. The maximizing welfare view. And in and in and this is the belief, basically, that justice is whatever will bring the greatest amount of good to the greatest number of people, and at the same time, reduce the harm being done to the greatest number of people. So justice is whatever we need to be doing to maximize people's welfare. You know, and that's a very, very common-held view, uh, probably the sort of view most often expressed by those, if I can say it, with like a more socialist leaning, possibly. Uh, And so that would look like uh, people fighting for things like distribution, redistribution of wealth and redistribution of um, opportunity and those kind of things. The second view that he describes is the respecting freedom view. And this one is slightly different because this one's about individual liberty. This one's about individual rights. This sees justice as being what creates the greatest amount of respect for the rights and freedoms of each individual to live how they want to live. If this is your core value, Sandel says, uh, these will be groups that for their view of the just society want to see a society that will accommodate and adapt to promote the fair treatment and the equal liberties of every single different kind of person. And then the final uh, core distinct vision of justice that Sandel talks about, he calls the promoting virtue view. And in this perspective is that justice is what is going to shape a society that is virtuous, that has a moral virtue, so that people act as they ought to uh, in accordance with this moral virtue. Here's a vision of humans who ought to behave in a particular way, they've got a certain kind of moral compass, a certain level of um, virtue and integrity. And and the just society is what's going to push uh, people towards living out that virtue. Just to give uh, some very, very loose political context to these, uh, the first maximizing welfare, as I said, is is often connected uh, with socialism. Uh, the second, the respecting freedom, that uh, tends to get connected with the with, um, ideas around libertarianism, you know, that advocate for sort of minimal state intervention uh, in both, you know, the free markets and private lives of citizens and individuals. And then the third, promoting virtue, would be kind of more akin to a political conservatism, just roughly. Sandel's whole point is, when we're talking about issues of justice it might be helpful for us to be aware that even though we might be using the same vocabulary and we might be using the same words, words like justice and fairness and freedom, there may well be some potentially very, very differing views. And we could be talking about any hot topic, You know, some of the ones that we've covered, some of the ones that we're planning on covering, um, from things like the welfare state, or healthcare, or abortion, or gender, or marriage, and on, and on, and on. And all three perspectives will have a very, very different take on which is the right course of action to ensure that justice is done in each of those arenas and more. And again, I just want to underline that these are broad brushstrokes. I just want to bring them to our attention for consideration this morning, if nothing else. Because even here, it's going to be a huge shock to you, even here, You know, with all of you wonderful uh, people, it's very possible, if not 100% guaranteed, that as many people are in the room is representative of the differing views that we all have on what constitutes justice. Now, here's another thing. This is going to come as a great surprise to you as well. Um, But here's another thing that tends to happen, and this especially affects people like us, you know, people of faith, right? Um, Is that there are religious believers of all kinds, Christians of all kinds, who are in each one of these camps. I mean, who knew? And then, each one of them, each one of us, will appeal to this, to the Bible, to the word of God, as advocating for our own particular view. And I think that's Tim Keller's point and why he brings up Sandel. What we tend to do is we we tend to be in a camp ourselves, um, and we have a point of view ourselves, and then we assume that the Bible... Of course, will justify and legitimize and, and underpin our particular point of view. The slight awkward reality is that when you look at all of the hundreds of verses, uh, the hundreds of uses of the words "justice" and "righteousness" in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, you actually find uh, the, the biblical definition of justice includes all three. Plast. So inconvenient. As far as I can tell, the Bible doesn't support one against the other. There are different places where different biblical writers connect to each one of these core values. And all that means is the Bible rarely, if ever, fits neatly into our modern categories. Now, that's not a problem. Nor does that take away anything from the Bible, as the inerrant word of God, as the scriptures, God-breathed, useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. What it does, however, challenge, and what it does potentially take away from, is something from our flawed 21st century thinking, but that's another series. What it takes then is going to be a, a huge amount of discipline and a huge amount of humility to for us to set aside our own determinations of what is just and what is right and what is fair on whatever the topic may be, and any of the ones I've mentioned and any other hot ones that you want to think about, and instead just... Listen. Just listen. Uh, Just listen. Let's learn how to listen to the biblical story and how the biblical narrative defines justice. And then, and only then, let's come back to our modern context and then let's see what wisdom the Bible has to offer us. And, And I honestly think Will be surprised, I think we'd be surprised at how relevant this ancient collection of books actually is and how it speaks with incredible authority into our modern day condition. What I think the Bible does, rather than uniting around any one of Sandel's categories or around any one political view, what the scriptures do is unite all of them under a far greater vision that encompasses them all and expands them all in a remarkable way. And hopefully over the next few weeks, against the backdrop of everything we've already covered, uh, we'll get more of a sense of what that greater wisdom might be. That's it. You survived.